sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, yes, uh, here we are, man. Mid-November 2020 is when we are actually sitting before the microphones, Aaron. Uh, the darkness is descending early because the uh, winter has arrived. Uh, is, that, is that like a metaphor? Are you I, are you being ominous? What's I, happening? I don't know. You know, COVID inspection I- infections are spiking. Uh, my anxiety is just climbing, dude. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. What is it? COVID related anxiety or? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's part of it. I'm still recovering from the disappointment of not being able to, uh, you know, attend the 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 big fall retreat in person. Looking forward to the virtual retreat, which is going to happen now in just a couple of days. But yeah, you know, just just more than that, we just sense. I don't know, dude. I do not know. And maybe it's just that the weather's. I, I, are you? You you have moved to Middle Tennessee from the Central Coast to California, where the weather is different. Are yeah. your moods weather dependent? How how uh, sensitive are you mood wise to what the weather's like when you step out the door in the morning? Uh, not not. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not surprised. I feel like I've lost some empathy points there. No, no, uh, no. You're so even keeled that that does not freaking surprise me at I, all. I, I really actually love this. Um, as things have turned to fall weather, uh-huh. I just delight in that. And then having kind of ugly winter where uh-huh. all the trees are naked. Yeah. And it's just, you know, we go on our favorite hikes and it just doesn't look the same with no leaves on anything. Yeah. And I love that because it's just long enough that when we start going on hikes and we see like a, a few buds coming out, yeah. we notice. Yeah. And that's, I really looked forward to that. And I was so happy that it didn't disappoint me mm-hmm. that those rhythms really created a level of awareness and gratitude yeah that i i just never got to have i mean we had winter it got colder it wasn't like you know it was the same in california but we didn't have you know at least two-thirds of the trees seemed like they were going to have their leaves all year yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah so yeah i'm i actually love it i don't love that it gets dark earlier I I want to stop work, and I was jet lagging this year when the time changed. Man, that took like five days. I was so tired. You know, when it came time for for the for the time change, Pastor uh, Scotty Smith uh, uh, posted a meme which just cracked me up. He said, um, "Turning the clocks back an hour and adding uh, an hour to 2020." Is like a bonus track on a is like getting a bonus track on a Yoko Ono album. <laughs> I was sure he was going to say Spice Girls, but uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate the Yoko. Yeah, uh, dig. I maybe I'm just tired from the whole damn dumpster fire of a year, uh, and I, I was I was hoping that things were going to pick up 
uh, and we were going to be able to open up a little bit more around the holidays. And it just now people are canceling Thanksgiving, you know, calling off weddings. Yeah. And, and I am, I don't know how to fix it. Maybe I just need to flow with it, but, um, yeah, I, I do get, what, what do they call that? Uh, seasonal affective disorder. I don't know that I am SAD necessarily, but I have a. It's, uh, it's, it spells sad. That's just uh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Sorry, I was caught, I was stuck on that. But all right, you Are don't we? know that you're technically SAD. Yeah. Uh, well, our listeners in Alaska will know all about it. You know. That's right. Sure. Exactly. Uh, here, just the days go shorter. The sun doesn't go away and not come back for a couple of months. But still. I notice it's easier for me to be up when I step out the door in the morning and the sky is clear and the sun is out. And on an overcast day, uh, I just tend now have to have to kind of fight through a film of um, pessimism or maybe not dread, but I don't know. It's just I just yeah. can't o- be as over, sunny as up. Uh, overcast, I, I love from time to time, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I, I, you're not lived, ready to move to Seattle. No, oh my gosh. No, I, that, that would definitely affect me. Even living in San Pedro, uh, at the right at the beach and mm-hmm. summers would just be very foggy and, uh-huh. uh, yeah, long-term fog sucks. Yeah. I mean, even, yeah. you know, snowy days, rainy days, then you get the sunny days, like, great. You still get a reprieve. I don't think I'd like anything that was just constant. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, there's there's a number of places I shouldn't live or else I will be (laughs) S-A-D. All right. Well, here we are having a stimulating conversation about the weather. How did this happen, Jack? Or, uh, Jack, jeez, holy crap. I know, look, I I know that our guest is Jack, and I guess my mind is running ahead uh, of the episode because I know we're going to introduce a great guest, uh, and I'm going to actually have to bail on that conversation partway through because – my computer yeah. takes a crapper. Yeah, we, that's good. That's good. You mentioned it now because I forgot to mention it until about two thirds of the way through the the conversation, and I thought I'll bet some listeners are like, "What assholes? They're ignoring <laughs> Nate completely." <laughs> <laughs> Where did he go? Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, so yes, it it was a it was a great conversation so i'm excited for the listeners to get to be a part of it uh what how's how's your loneliness quotient going my loneliness quotient yeah it is i mean i don't even want to think about where i would be on the loneliness scale if i didn't have already scheduled into my routine at least one one hour conversation with another guy every day um, but you know, even today, a lot of those conversations, those are guys that for years, you know, we met at a coffee shop and then we walked the streets of Franklin and talked now since COVID I'm still having the conversations, but with most of those guys, we're on the phone and, uh, as not as good as that is, it's not as good as being together. And I felt that sadness again this morning with a guy who, I, I don't know. I just, 
Yeah. So I, I've got kind of that loneliness going and, you know, not being able to knight the Samson, uh, the Franklin Samson group is, you know, meeting in person, not a large group. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys like me who really can't, don't feel like safely they can go to the meeting. Uh, but some of those guys will meet. It's been months since I was able to sit in the room with those guys. Mm. Uh, I'm grateful that Allie and I have had so much time together, but at the same time, um, yeah, I miss really being able to hang with my brothers and, you know, we've been going to church virtually now for months and months and months. Allie and I sit in side-by-side recliners you know, with the laptop up and participate in church, but it's really, we've become, you know, viewers rather than participants. I remember talking to uh, one of the OG Samson guys years ago, Mm -hmm. and occasionally, I'm trying to think if his kids were still in the house, maybe, maybe a couple of them were still in the house. But he and his wife would sit across the room. One one would sit in the dining room and one would sit in the living room and they would open some kind of instant chat program. <laughs> and they loved doing that because they talked in different ways. They talked about different things. Words, word choices were different yeah, yeah, and yeah. more purposeful. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, hey, you guys are idiots. Um, (laughs) even though I, even though I got his point, but now that that is such a norm, Mm -hmm. it's not funny anymore. Yeah. It's lost. It's amusement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, so today we're going to address the loneliness. Uh, I have been so buried with work that uh, like I got a call from my dad earlier, couldn't, couldn't stop a rushed report to answer it. Got a call from my sister. So uh, fortunately, they're two hours behind. So I can call them very late here and it'll be fine. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, last week, I had time to spend a bit more time on the phone and didn't realize how lonely I was. Yeah. And once I talked to a couple guys, I was just like ravenously hungry, mm. kind of like when you haven't eaten all day, but you've been so busy and you didn't notice. Right, you take yeah. that first bite of food, and you're like, yeah. right, "Give me, more, give me all the food on the planet." <laughs> uh, so, I, fortunately, right after that, I got to go to the retreat and yeah. have a lot of connection time, which was great. And I found my my soul has been so much lighter. Mm. Um, and I can't even believe it's been over a week since the retreat in Eva. Time yeah. just flew by after that. But I am looking forward to connecting uh, in a similar but different way yeah. this weekend. And I'm glad we'll be in the same room doing it. That'll yeah. be fun. That'll be awesome. Yeah. So, anyways, we should get to the we should get to the interview for Pete's sake. Yes. God bless <laughs> Pete. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back uh, with uh, with a scintillating conversation with Jack Eason about loneliness. All right, fine. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We have a great guest on this week, author of a great new book just out this month or maybe last month. His name is Jack Eason, and the book is The Loneliness Solution, Finding Meaningful meaningful Connection in a Disconnected World. Welcome to the show, Jack. Hey, thank you, Nathan. Good to be here with you and Aaron today. You, you got a good radio voice. I like it. Oh, it's my great. gosh. Uh, I, I've heard, I've heard, uh, I, I sound like I'm from the South cause I am. <laughs> uh, you actually have a, a background in radio, don't you, Jack? Yeah. I, um, produced a, a syndicated radio show for teenagers for about 15 years. And, um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Every Saturday night for 15 years, I knew I was going to be in the radio studio. So, uh, I, I actually, I actually miss it a little bit, believe it or not. So, uh, did you get started in ministry uh, doing youth work? Is that how things got rolling for you? Yes, yeah, student, student ministry. Actually, when when I went to um, when I went to college initially, I thought student ministry that was going to be it for a lifetime. And uh, my student pastor growing up said, uh, "Hey, when you get off to school, the first thing you need to do is go find a church to serve in and volunteer in serving their teenagers." Uh, so that you don't get the degree in four years and realize, wow, I actually hate this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was great advice. I loved it and did that for a, a while. And then that actually is what kind of pushed me into music ministry for a while. I, I feel like I'm 150 years old and I've had like eight careers, uh, but uh, but it's all been good stuff. So, Jack, I, I'm curious, what what prompted you to write a book about loneliness? What got you started on this whole project? Well, it wasn't really, um, sorry to say it wasn't really about loneliness. Actually, uh, what I, what I really wanted to write about, which, which the book does get there toward the latter half is, is really the power of community. You know, I've, I've had the privilege to see in student ministry and, and touring for a while. And, and in our latest kind of, uh, edition of our nonprofit work in the third world, I've just had the privilege to see what happens when people work together and they use their different gifts. Um, and so I really wanted to write about, you know, just the power of togetherness because we live in such a world that seems to be so divisive on every level. And so when I started kind of exploring and I pitched that idea to Ravel, my publisher, they, they said, well, you know, we really like that, but here, here's a question. We think there's a question before that. And that question is, are we together? And if we're not together, why not? So I was like, okay, let's research that a little bit. So when I did, I discovered we, we are lonely. It looks like we're together a lot of times, social media and, and things like that look like we're together, but we're really, we're really lonely people. And this was, by the way, pre-pandemic. Uh, for those that are, are listening, we're recording this in the midst of, uh, I hope, actually, I'm going to say toward the end of a pandemic, I hope. Um but as somebody said the other day, oh, you're so bright to put this out during a pandemic. No, this was a turn in at the uh, at the end of last year because loneliness. You, you know, we're going to be facing loneliness just because of uh, who we are as a people. Um, a year, two, five, ten years from now, we're going to be facing hey, this issue. Hey, Jack, just backing up a little bit, I would be curious because I'm fascinated by other cultures. What were one or two of the experiences you had that you we're in another culture and went, oh, wow, this is very different than what I understood community to be. 
You know, that's Aaron, that's a great question because the reality is, you know, loneliness affects all of us no matter where we live on the planet. But I do think that there is an intense level of it in North America, Europe, uh, what we might would call developed nations. Because what I've discovered in the third world, um, for example, in the, in the third world, when you when you have to survive, uh, I mean, literally life or death, you have to survive by depending on people to help, uh, whether it's farming or getting food together or taking care of one another to survive disease or drought or whatever it might be. The power of community is pretty easy to convince people that that's important because <laughs> you may not live if you don't work together. And so I've, I've just seen uh, in the third world, especially in a lot of our workers in the Dominican Republic and in Malawi, Africa, um, convincing people that they need to work together is not something that you have to do because uh, it's, it's more innate because it's a lifestyle. And I wish it was that way uh, in North America and maybe one day it will be. And what do you see? Do you see any differences in friendships and how people interact and treat with each, treat each other because of that? Yeah, I mean they they go to uh, they go to the heart of issues much faster than we tend to here in in North America, especially. Um, you know, when when you have uh, uh, farmed a crop or whatever, or you've killed an animal or whatever it might be, again in the third world, because you need food for your family. Because if you don't get it, you're going to not have food on the table. Uh, tonight or tomorrow, then you just kind of cut through the things that really are trivial uh, and aren't that important. And, um, you know, we, we have some of those hurdles because of the blessings that we have here in North America and other developed countries. Uh, sometimes those things become hurdles that keep, keep us at distance from one another, really, of, of, of having real friendship and relationship. So coming back to uh, Western folks and trying to communicate this message, there have to be, I mean, I'm just thinking of all the missionaries, short-term missionaries that we would send from the church. They'd come back really stoked and judgmental uh, about everybody who didn't care about that <laughs> village they went to. So trying to communicate a passion that you caught because of experience how in the world do you communicate that in in a way that can create actual change? Yeah, well, you have to be you have to be patient. You're 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 spot on. Uh, you know, I remember the first time uh, I came back, and and I'm I'm in the Dominican maybe twelve weeks out of the year, so I don't live down there like our missionaries do. Um, but I had to realize, uh, you know, people that I left behind weren't on the ground. They didn't see what I saw. They didn't smell what I smelled. They didn't see the, and touch the things that I was able to experience. So uh, I, I think what I've had to learn to do when I come back from, from trips like that is uh, have a level of patience uh, and have a little bit thicker skin for some of the things that get on my nerves. You know, things like you go, you go out to eat and the waiter doesn't exactly get your food right. Maybe it's a little too salty or not enough salt. And some, somebody goes, I'm just sending that back. You know, and I'm just kind of like, wow, in the third world, they'd be glad to even have, you know, a, just a little bit of that, let alone whether it's salted or not salted. Right. So some of the things that we find that are just really picky, uh, again, maybe because of the blessings that we receive. So uh, it's different for sure. So what are the first things that are even transferable? Because obviously you talked about the reasons it has to be community there. But what are things that we in America can just 
draw from that and apply directly? Well, I think our culture here obviously pushes us actually probably away from community. I mean, we, we celebrate, um, we celebrate independence much more. Uh, we even have a holiday for it, which not, not necessarily anything wrong with that, but we celebrate our independence. I mean, as a dad, I've had a couple of, uh, well, she's not a teenager anymore. She's, she's in her twenties, but you know, I have a couple of kids and my, my goal was for them to become independent. <laughs> and, and as a friend of mine says, gainfully employed would have been mm-hmm. really, would be really mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. So there's that level of independence. But I think sometimes we uh, are so hyper-focused on that, that we forget that there is a, there is what I've heard called an interdependence uh, upon one another, um, which is really, you know, when it comes to faith, that's really how we're designed, uh, I think, and wired and created to be. So culture to some degree pushes us against uh, living that way. I think social media, uh, you know, the the invention and advent of social media uh, makes us feel like we're connected more than perhaps we really are. Uh, I mean, I can add and subtract friends at will with a mouse click. That's not real friendship. <laughs> um, uh-huh. You know, uh, fr- real friendship is painful and messy and, um, you know, it requires accountability and requires an investment. Um, I think that's another part. Our, our society is so quick paced, um, just the way we live with technology and everything. We, we think friendships should happen very, very quickly and, uh, they don't, they take, sometimes they take years to develop strong friendships. So, um, yeah, we, there's, there's a weird, there's a weird cultural shame factor too. I'm thinking of, of, people that are naturally more needy in that they really need relationships to help reflect things back to them. Mm -hmm. And those are usually the people that feel the most ashamed when they hear the word needy and never want it to be applied to them because there was no good category of, well, what is neediness? Neediness is just needing things from other people and that is how we were designed. Mm. And there's certainly a line we can cross where our neediness becomes getting a false identity through the reflections of other people. Right, that's right. But I don't think that, I can't remember a time where I was ever taught, oh no, here's, here's the good side of neediness. Here's the created side. This mm-hmm. is part of the image of God in me. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think you're right. It, com- it comes back to to understanding uh, our identity uh, in in Christ and uh, understanding that that is the way that we're wired. Um, I, I don't think, uh, you, you know, and, and again, there's the difference between maybe some people are listening going, well, I kind of like being by myself from time to time. Well, I, I do too. I do too. Uh, that's not really loneliness. That's just choosing to be alone. Uh, right. And I think we all need times to be alone. I mean, uh, Jesus himself needed time to be alone. Yeah. So uh, uh, being alone and being lonely are uh, are really two different things. Um, you know, I've asked people who have felt so. Break, break down, break down this word lonely. Well, I've asked friends who have felt lonely, and I felt lonely too. But but uh, I've asked others to to kind of describe. Okay, what's what is what does that mean, and and how do you feel? And and some of the things I've heard described with lonely is, you know, I it's an overwhelming feeling, almost like I am trapped inside of this. Uh, cardboard box and I can't get it open, or I'm in a deep sea of water and I'm trying to kick, you know, to the surface and I just can't. I'm just I'm, I'm overwhelmed with this feeling of of uh, not being connected. And yet again, 
it looks like through society and technology that we are connected. Um, so that's the loneliness part. Uh, again, alone, being alone in solitude uh, is good. We, we kind of make that choice, but sometimes we don't necessarily choose to, to feel lonely. The feeling just happens. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've seen crowds of people together. Uh, you go to most coffee shops and you'll see, sometimes you'll see groups, especially, especially the Gen Z and millennials, which are really struggling with this issue and the generation behind Gen Z, which I've heard different names for that group already. Um, because they're sitting in groups, but they'll have their headphones on or they'll be in their own world. So they're not even, it's not that they're even by themselves. They're with somebody else, but they still will talk about feeling lonely. So, um, so why do you think that is for these younger generations, like what, 18 to 22 are getting hit really hard by it right now? Um, is it just because of how they use technology or what is there? Is there more? Has this been studied? It must have been. It must have been studied. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Uh, and um, you know, there have been a, a lot of studies out there. Many of those I refer to in in the book. I mean, I, I remember uh, talking to one girl named Daphne. She was uh, from the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, and um, and I think one of the things that she talked about why she felt lonely is. She went to, um, at that age, a lot of new things are happening, right? So she left uh, her home, her city. She went to a new city, new school, new friends, uh, because she didn't get a full ride. She had to get a new job. There were so many new things that it's like, okay, among all this newness and trying to adjust to dorm life and new schedule and new classes and new professors, now I'm also supposed to build friendships. When am I supposed to have time to do that? So I think I think some of it is just all the things that happen at that age. Um, and I do think also some of it is just you think about what this generation has grown up with. They've never uh, not known a time with the Internet. Uh, right. They've never not known a time with cell phones. I mean, I was talking to my son the other day and just tell him, you know, at, at one point, uh, you know, when we wanted to use the phone, we had to actually go home. And we right. were tethered to the wall when we had to make a phone call. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I remember when we got our first, like, 30-foot cord, and I could I could take it into my room under the door. It was very exciting. Yeah. I, I, but, and that, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to the Daphne story, mm. and I experienced the same thing. I left home. I was still 17, moved three and a half hours away, and during those years away, and I didn't live on campus, um, uh, I have never had more community. Mm-hmm. I was with people every day, found a church that had some some folks that I was just around all the time. And so I'm trying to like connect. What is it? How is it different for her? And I, I thought of the phone thing and even the Facebook or Instagram, whatever's cool these days, tweeting right. or whatever. Um, I really was disconnected from all of those relationships I left, mm-hmm. you know, I go back and visit or maybe call every once in a while. Is, is that, I mean, you brought up technology and I'm just trying to wrap my head around why it's so different for Daphne. Well, and I, I think technology too, for this generation, because they've grown up with it, uh, it's helped them do things more quickly. So what we've created is a generation of, of maybe overachievers or, or those that are really more interested in 
checking things off of their list. And so mm-hmm. uh, there, there, if you ask, hey, can we get together and do this? Sorry, I can't. You know, I can't have lunch. I'm busy. Th- they turn down the opportunity to connect with someone uh, in order to check off another item on the task list because, because of the speed uh, t- to do it is so much quicker now with technology. So I think that's part of it. Again, technology is part of it. Hey, I, I think all this really has culminated in maybe even a bigger issue that's pushed us to loneliness, and that is this, this uh, delusion that we're self-sufficient. Mm. Because uh, all yeah. this technology, you know, I, I, can, I can, the other day I left my house, did not even get out of my car. I got food, dropped off dry cleaning, went to the bank, and did a couple other things and never got out from behind the steering wheel because we have so automated all these things that we can do and, and made them speedier because of technology. And so it makes us feel like, well, we're in control. We're self-sufficient. This is the world in which we live. And really the opposite is true. Um, we're not self-sufficient. Um, uh, we, we well, need one another. Well, let's, let's take this all the way back uh, as it is not a new problem, though it's coming out in new ways. But we have the first thing that is not good in creation that I know you talk about in your book, right? That God makes man. Mm. First thing he says is it's not good that he's alone. Right. That's right. But then what is stunning to me is when Eve takes the fruit, she eats it. Uh, scripture says she was deceived, but then she gave it to the man who was not deceived and he took it and ate it. And I, I always thought, Okay, wait, if he's not deceived, that means he believes what God said. What did God say? The day you eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, die, you shall surely die. Mm. So he's taking a fruit that he knows the outcome. I mean, this is Romeo and Juliet. He's committing suicide because he believes she's going to die, and he would rather die, I assume, because he doesn't want to be alone again. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's... so. Take us back to this this initial problem with humans. Well, yeah, you're you're right. I mean, one of the guys that I refer to in the book, I was doing when I was doing my research, is a guy named Drew Hunter, and and Drew said, uh, I think his quote was, um, you know, the first problem in the world was not sin. So I'm I, I'm reading this thinking, okay, who's this heretic? You know, I need to find out who this guy is and call him <laughs> and tell him what I think. And uh, and then when I continue to read and think about it, he said the first problem in the world was was solitude that man um he he defined it as solitude that man was uh you know as you said was alone and god said it's not good for you to be alone i'll create a companion and so you know which which again was also the institution of something else that's eroded in our culture and that is the family so we don't we don't value family some people would say well we value it but we value it but we have redefined it okay then then simply by redefining it you've changed what uh, what it was really created, how God had really created it to be uh, for uh, connection and real community. Yeah, and, so t- um, tell me more about the the values that we've we've lost in family. Well, I, th- I think when it comes to, uh, you know, when, when it comes to, to family, uh, I mean, when I was growing up, we, we would have reunions with our extended family. I mean, sometimes it was like every Sunday we'd all gather at grandma's house, you know, and and we'd have 40, 50 people gathering to eat. And now here we are decades later. And I'll, you know, I'll be honest, even in my own immediate family, we've got four. Uh, it's difficult to even get together and have a meal. One, one of the great things 
um, about the coronavirus for us and our family is when it shut down a lot of the restaurants, we had to eat a meal around the table. <laughs> and it was like you'd, we were looking at each other like, uh, this is weird. What do we do? And we started having conversation. We actually even started having, playing uh, games, Scrabble and different card games and stuff. And you don't see that happen in the family. Again, I think all these things are working together to, uh, you know, create the great trifecta or whatever you want to say, you know, technology, social media, disconnection of the family, all these things are working together. Um, and so, uh, you know, one of the things that used to happen in those family gatherings was conversation. I mean, we would sit at the table for hours after the meal was over. And that's where a lot of those passing down of stories and, and lessons and traditions came. And I think we've really lost that in our society. And that was a part of the connection. That was a part of the community because you'd get to know one another. And now because of, you know, fast food, uh, who needs who who needs time to do that or who wants time to do that? So, right. you know, we, I think we have traded some of the things that we think are great. And, and it may take a while for us to realize, you know, wow, maybe this wasn't such a great idea. Um, you know, we, we have traded, a, another friend of mine said it this way, we've traded the false shrines of Twitter and Instagram for real friendship. Uh, and we have, we have in a lot of those things. So, so the family, I think, again, is a part of it. And, um, you know, again, I mentioned family being re redefined. I think that is also a big thing, especially this generation has seen happen um, in their lifetime. Uh, they, they have lived among the change, whereas, you know, those of us who are older, we remember the way things used to be. Like, for example, uh, e even the family, families being redefined. We've created all these new labels for people. And I think in our attempt to give people distinction and, and maybe in some degree, um, uh, you know, some uh, category, uh, we've compartmentalized. We've created this whole myriad of distinctions for people's gender, sexual preference. I mean, you name it in our world. And so now we put the spotlight on all of our differences instead of the thing that keeps us, the thing that, that keeps us similar. And that is that we're humans and that we're made in the image of God and that we need community. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting problem. Uh, I mean, I, I think we've talked about before on the show, I loved when Pixar came out because mm. I hate the Disney movies of my childhood because everyone has a princess who doesn't fit in with her community and her only solution is to find a way out, mm. out of mm -hmm. her provincial life, out of her sea world onto land. And then all of a sudden Pixar comes and every one of their movie was about an isolated character who found their way into community. Mm -hmm. But I think that idea of uniqueness hasn't left us where we have it built into our culture as such a value. I, I need to be unique. I need to be understood as unique. And that's great. Uh, we are unique and beautifully made. Mm -hmm. However... Again, we haven't been taught these are the values of our commonality, that I'm special just like everyone else. Nobody wants to hear that. That's right. And yet that's such an obvious and important truth. Right. That's right. Well, and we, we would discover those, you know, when I was growing up, instead of the spotlight being on the differences, the spotlight was on the similarities. And because we felt like we were similar— we discovered the differences in our friendship as, as we were having a friendship is when we discovered the differences and we were like, Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. 
Now the spotlight's on our differences. So I think everybody goes, well, I, I'm not like that person. I, I can't talk to them because they're different. Um, so again, I think we may be putting the spotlight in our culture uh, on the wrong thing. And boy, it takes some growing up. Because even when you said that, you know, in the past, a lot of folks on similarities, which we can see the, the corrupt fruit of that in racism. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a matter of throwing that away, but of maturing as people and as a culture where those aren't the similarities that are focused on to create groups, That's right. but, but a different, deeper community level. And I, I, think, I think in many ways we're, we're on that path if we can stop derailing ourselves with such an overemphasis on uniqueness. Yeah, I, I, I agree a hundred percent. I, I was telling somebody the other day, they were asking me about this whole racism issue. And, uh, we actually had an African American brother, a friend of mine, uh, come speak at our church this past weekend. And, uh, I was telling him, I said, well, it's, it's funny because when I was growing up, uh, I'm sure people were talking about racism, but I never heard that word in my home. And, uh, you know, we, we, we were not, um, we were not poor by the world standards. I mean, nobody who lives in the, in North America is poor by the world standards where we have the, you know, we're in the top 5% of wealth on the planet. So we're not technically poor, but, but as far as what we would say is above or below the poverty line here in America, our family was probably pretty close to it at some points as I was growing up. And so where I lived and the people that I hung up out with, one of my friends for a couple of two or three years in high school, junior high and high school, was a black kid who lived right down the road. And I never referred to him as a black kid. He was my friend. And so I I never really even, I I mean, obviously I knew he was a different color, but that was not where the spotlight was. The spotlight was, hey, we're two guys who were just wanting to hang out and go have fun and, you know, take our BB gun in the woods and go see what we can find. (laughs) Right. So uh, exactly. And that is the picture of similarities that have nothing to do with the, the irrelevant parts mm, that's right the external parts mm. um you know certainly thinking of friends who are disabled and how they talk about you know they have physical disabilities but people speak to them as if they have mental disabilities and that's so frustrating for them because they have so much commonality with the people talking mm, to them right. so there yeah. are just so many of these isolating features that are irrelevant to our togetherness, whether it's skin color, whether it's a disability, there's just a myriad of them. And that's such a great description of you and your friend back before you felt like that needed to even be something that had to be repaired, Mm. which sometimes just adds a layer of focus to it, which divides. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So we're not going to get out of this internet world of ours. Uh, No chance. So... How do we reclaim connection uh, while all of these false intimacies exist? That we can use it as a good tool, but not go too far. What are your suggestions on that? Because that's tough. Yeah, uh, it it is. Uh, you know, I I, I think there, there's several things I would suggest. I think the first one is, um, you know, realizing that that actually. Um, creating real friendships or discovering real friendships takes an investment, uh, an investment of time. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who falls in that, that age group of 18 to 24. And, and of, of course the ultimate 
place of community, I, I believe, and is for those that will, will read the book or get the book, uh, you'll find out uh, kind of the kind of given the uh, spoiler alert here that I think the real community is found in a community of faith. And I was asking him the question. I said, why aren't you really plugged into faith community? And his answer was, well, I've been there, done that. And I, I said, I got a question for you. I said, uh, have you ever gone to a restaurant where you had bad service or the food wasn't good? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I said, well, did, did you quit eating out? No, of course not. I didn't quit out. Of course not. I said, well, then why wouldn't you give another church or another faith community a, a chance? Because it, it takes an investment of time and energy. Uh, you're not going to find the one that, that you know, where you fit probably the first time, second time. And um, so I think, first of all, I just say you, you've got to be willing to invest and to look at things a little bit differently. It's interesting that we're, we're willing to invest when it comes to getting in shape. We're willing to invest when it comes to learning maybe a musical instrument. We're willing to invest in education, all these things that we're willing to invest in our from our humanity into. But then when you start talking about friendships and community, no, no, I just, you know, you want it instantaneously. And again, I think a lot of the things we've talked about have have kind of created that. So I think you've got to be willing to, uh, to invest. I, I think the other thing is, and I was sharing this with a friend too the other week, is uh, we have to really, uh, and, and you mentioned this, we've got to be uh, ready to, um, uh, what's the word, uh, recalibrate our thinking because we do live in a world that doesn't necessarily push us towards uh, thinking about community. And I would just ask those who are, who are, you know, struggling or I, well, I'd ask this question, you know, how many of your, how, how many of my 3000, however many plus Facebook friends could I call at 2 a.m. if I really had a need, maybe four, five, six, certainly not 3000 plus. Mm -hmm. So by definition, I've got to recalibrate my thinking and realize, okay, a lot of times the ones that I say are friends are really not friends according to the real definition of friendship. And, um, uh, calibrate, you know, if you look in Webster's dictionary, mean, means to to standardize by determining the deviation from the standard. And and if you look again, you you mentioned you look at, at Genesis, you look at community, the family, friendship, all throughout what Scripture says about friendship. That's our standard. I think we've changed our standard of friendship again. We we've changed it to can we just are we going to get a like from them if we post something? Oh, they're our mm -hmm. friend. No, yeah. that's not friendship. That's not friendship. So I think we got to recalibrate our, our thinking. And uh, and then I use another reword uh, in one of the chapters. I can't remember which chapter it's in, but I talk about uh, remember, not like mentally remember, but but in other words, the opposite of, of dismembering. We've mm. so dismembered, especially the body of Christ, um, and not realizing, as you said earlier, that we all have special gifts, skills, talents, and and uh, pull pull us back together and see what we can accomplish together. I, I, some of that just means confessing to yourself that I'm not all that. <laughs> I yeah. don't have all the answers. I don't bring right. everything to the table. Mm -hmm. um, so those are just a few a few thoughts I discovered along the way along uh, along this journey. Do we have time for me to throw out another strange thought for you to uh, give sure. your ideas with? All right. Um, oh, by the way, listeners, we're not ignoring Nate. He had technological difficulties and <laughs> fell out of this conversation. I'm sure some of you are wondering why Jack and I are just like, shut up, Nate. You sit there and be quiet. Uh, so you may ease your troubled minds. Uh, 
when you were talking about cultures you've visited that were so different than the Western culture, I, I immediately was thinking about the story of the prodigal son and how so much of the problem with the behavior of the the younger brother was how many cultural norms he broke mm. in being selfish and independent and unique, and that disrupted the village culture he lived in. Mm-hmm. And then as you look throughout history, uh, and still in so many village cultures, cultural norms are a binding feature. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about Samson society, just group meetings and then meetings after the meetings and certain rhythms and joining some kind of group that has a set of norms seems like it makes it easier to create community and connect. What, what are your thoughts on that? No, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I'm so glad you asked that question. I think you're absolutely right. I I think what may have happened I'm not I'm not sure if this is where you're headed but uh, but I think what may have happened um in the in the church world versus uh, a group that maybe a lot of the the Samson folks are a part of is in the church world uh, unfortunately we have uh, we need we need to flip the script in this new world in which we live and and what I mean by that is uh, when I was growing up, for example, if you if you went to a church, um, you heard, and I'm not saying this is this is incorrect, but um, but times have changed. Uh, you heard, hey, here's what you need to believe. You know, believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He paid the payment of your sin. Believe, believe, believe. You believe these things, and then you can belong to our group. You can mm-hmm. belong to our church. Right, and if you really believe these things, then you will change your behavior. Um, again, I'll let the listeners decide if they think that's right or wrong. Uh, I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that. However, I think we live in a culture now that is looking to belong, mm-hmm. and I think if we will show people and help people realize that they do belong, but simply because they're made in the image of God, um. And they may have to feel like they belong for a while before they ever believe the tenets of that particular group. Right. That there's a process built in where that's right. Everybody can belong, even if I believe that what they believe is wrong. That's but right. That's I, right. I mean, if, and, I, and if, if I if I really believe that, why wouldn't I want them as close to my right thinking people as possible, so that they can come to a different belief? Yeah, like, that's right. And and you let them belong, and and you trust. Uh, you know, I, I often say that we don't think we we trust the Holy Spirit enough to do the job. We we try to do the job for the Holy Spirit. Sometimes let let them belong as long as they need to, and if they're in a true community of a faith that's genuine and there's accountability and authenticity, then they will start to believe what you believe. Then they will start to behave the way that you behave. I mean, even some right. churches, you know, uh, a friend of mine across the country was telling me about a young kid who came into their church with a baseball cap, and and um, uh, you know, somebody in the church was offended because this kid who probably had to fight all kinds of obstacles to get to to even get to church because of family issues and all kinds of stuff um, didn't didn't know that that was the code. Uh, and I grew up that way. I get it, you know, uh, but it wouldn't it wouldn't bother me. But again, all all that to say, uh, this kid was looking for a place to belong, 
And if you'll give people a place to belong, then I think God will uh, do do the rest. And, and, and unfortunately, Aaron, in, in the church, we have dropped the ball to some degree. And, um, you know, we could talk a lot about that all night. Right. Uh, you know, the, the whole trust issue for some people is a reason why they're disconnected from a faith community. And again, I would just say, uh, it, it, the way that we're created, the way God wired us, you'll never really be who you're, who God intended you to be and to live the full life God intended until you are plugged into a community uh, of faith because right. God wired you that way. So, um, and it doesn't have to be in what you might consider the traditional quote unquote church. It can be right. a body, body of believers in a home group or whatever group. Right. Um, and, so anyway, anyway, yeah. I know we're running and, out of and time. Boy, the, I was just thinking the, the biggest act of trust that I can step into is when I go from even taking the courageous movement that you can belong because ultimately, uh, if I let you belong, you'll start thinking and acting like me. The next level trust is when humility comes by mm, the right. Holy Spirit. That's right. And I find out that possibly if I let you belong for long enough, I might come to believe some of what is in you. That's right. And that, and that is the power of community right there. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a real dogma breaker that power <laughs> that's of community. Right. That's right. That's right. Hey, well, it, I want to encourage people if I can, you know, obviously to get the book that'd be great, but if you don't get the book, uh, there are tons of resources online that that are for for free for the taking and uh you know, spread those things out and use them. Pod, pod, there's a podcast too, which I'd love to have you guys on on mine at some point. Um, there's videos and there's uh, a lot of free downloadables. And if you're a pastor ministry leader and you're thinking, man, I really want to help connect people in community, there's sermon outlines and graphics. I mean, uh, th- this is a this is not a one and done kind of thing for us. We our, our team really wants to make sure people get uh, find that connection that they that they need and that they're wired for. Well, let's touch on that real quick. Jack's book is The Loneliness Solution, Finding Meaningful Connection in a Disconnected World, and they can get it at Amazon or Barnes & Nobles or all over the place. Um, but if they want to connect a little more with what you're doing, the podcast, uh, just all of that stuff, how do they, where do they go to find Yeah, th- thanks, Aaron. Just real simple, jackeason.org. Uh, just my name, Jack Eason, E-A-S-O-N. Dot .org real simple. That is awesome. Well, Jack, I'm sorry that you didn't have the presence of Nathan Larkin. Oh but man, I know. I know it's disappointing when people are just stuck with Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to just start talking in the third person now. Uh, but I appreciate it. I I love I love what you're talking about. It's so great. So thank you for spending the time with us. Uh, thank you, Aaron. I appreciate it. All right, we will be right back and possibly find Nate when we return on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
are back on the Pirate Monk podcast. Uh, how did you enjoy that interview? I, I'm sure I absolutely loved that interview and will <laughs> love it as soon as I get a chance to listen to it. I mean, I got to meet Jack on the front end and he seemed like a pleasant guy with wonderful things to say. And then all of a sudden, kaboom, I was gone. I was off somewhere in uh, cyberspace and couldn't get back. You were, you were in technological purgatory yeah. until the time was right for you to return to the <laughs> heavenly glory of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just uh, sat here. You go having the conversation. I was just sitting here all by myself feeling lonely. You know what? I'd feel bad, but how many times has that been me over the years? <laughs> I, I know exactly how that feels where i'm just sitting until you call and say okay let's do the front and the end yeah, <laughs> i'm yeah, like yeah. fine whatever i'll I do have, the front and the end i have a game on my phone that Allie introduced me to a couple of months ago i mean and i don't know what is so addictive about the damn thing you know it's uh you know it's different colored balls that are stacked in translucent cylinders and uh you have to get all the balls of the same color in uh, individual cylinders so you're moving balls around well kind of kind of sounds like tetris without sharp edges could well be i don't know uh (laughs) so i had these you know small cycles of completion and small successes enough just to keep me coming back anyway that's what i did while you were you were talking with Jack. I was I, moving balls around. So man, I, I was just picturing that you were on your knees at your couch yeah. and just in fervent prayer. That the Holy <laughs> Spirit would be working through the conversation. Yeah, that too. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> hey, we did. We touched on something uh, towards the end of the conversation that I, I want to come back to. We talked about how being in a group with cultural norms Mm-hmm. or cycles or things like that are really helpful in creating community because we're just wired for that. Yeah. And uh, we talked a little about church mm-hmm. and so much of church revolves around Sunday morning. And so we have those systems and norms and processes, except we're all shoulder shoulder to shoulder looking away from each other. Yes. And it, it just brought back how important, whether it's Samson or even a small group that has that cultural norm aspect to it, mm-hmm. cycles that you know you're coming into, yeah. but then also times of freedom where you can break out of the cycle yeah. um, so it's it doesn't stagnate, which is why it's so important to have those meetings after the meetings yeah. where it's free-flowing. So you've got the structure, right. you've got the free-flowing. Um but really, for, for people that feel stuck, take that seriously. We're, mm. I think we're really wired for that. And, and I think that bears out even in how God lays out the culture for his people. You know, there are the cycles of the feasts right. and what they remember. There are the cycles of the sacrifices and what they mean. Like, he knows we need that. He made us that way. Sure, yeah, yeah. So if if you find yourself stuck in a lonely rut and the way that you keep trying to get out of it is like random activities that don't have consistent structure, mm. that might be the missing piece for you. Oh, good insight, Aaron. Good insight. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got. 
All right. Well, that's that. You know, that's a good thing to wrap on. That's something portable that our listeners can take home and try on. Uh, I think uh, that we've just about come to the end of the hour, have we not? Yeah. Can people still sign up for this weekend? This episode should come out before the virtual retreat this weekend. Yeah. Okay. So the virtual retreat is uh, November 20 and 21 in 2020. And you can sign up right up until the last minute. Go to the main page at samsonsociety.com. You'll find a banner there that you click on. that will take you directly to the registration page. And, uh, and it's as simple as that. And you just need to be ready to zoom do they do they need yeah they'll they'll come in it's a, zoom? yeah it's a, yeah if you're not already on zoom you'll have to download uh you know the zoom app onto your computer or tablet or phone which is free. Only, yeah that's free it only takes a minute or two and then uh you can participate you cannot you, you will not only be able to you know watch and listen but you'll be able to interact with the presenters and with the other attendees at the conference. Yeah, there's going to be some great breakout sessions where, yeah. regardless of how many people, it's going to go down to some smaller groups that you'll you'll get to uh, do do some work. Yeah, it's going to be super great excited. Stuff. Yeah, it's going to be fun. All right, well, well, that's it. Okay, uh, on. Well, yeah, go ahead. And uh, by the way, the email address again to reach us is piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. And until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are, as we always say, your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arr.